The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Picture for a moment this scenario. You're walking down the street one day, and out of the blue, a complete stranger comes up to you and says, I forgive you. What are you going to think? If you're hyper-conscientious, you might wonder for a moment whether you'd actually done something wrong, but soon you realize that you don't know this person. You've never met this person. And from your perspective, there's nothing to be forgiven. Your responses might vary, but I imagine the most charitable response would be something like this. Well, that's nice, but I'm not sure why you're forgiving me. You'd be confused, feel a bit strange and awkward, but you certainly don't feel relieved. There has been no relationship restored, which is what forgiveness does. There's been no relationship restored because there was no relationship in the first place. Peace is like that, too. If you don't know that there's a conflict, then a declaration of peace is pretty inconsequential. Now, for us, day to day, peace can be a pretty fluffy concept. We often think of it as quiet and calm and freedom from commotion and bustle. But in view of a conflict, 
Peace means something entirely different. If you've ever been at odds with someone you love, your parents, your kids, your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, if you've experienced a relationship gone bitter and combative, then the notion of peace carries some weight. Or if you've lived in a time of war, when the threat of violence and destruction and death were palpable, if you'd practiced putting on a gas mask and hiding under your desk, if you were afraid for the lives of soldiers and for your own life, unsure how the war was going to end, then you know what a costly, precious thing peace is. And then you can also imagine that when the conflict is over, when a relationship is restored, when combat is ended, you don't just think to yourself, well, that's nice. But you rejoice, and you thank God, and you celebrate, and life changes. Three times today, Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you. It was not just a greeting or a pious way of saying hello. It was a declaration of peace and the end of a conflict. And John tells us that the disciples were behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. These men who were so closely associated with Jesus were now in grave danger. What was there to stop the enemies of Christ? Now encouraged by the success of their campaign against him, what was there to stop them from wiping out his followers as well? And so the disciples hid. But when Jesus came into the room and said, Peace be with you, he wasn't saying that the conflict with the Jewish authorities was over, that all of a sudden the disciples and the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees were reconciled to one another. That's not the peace he was bringing. He was bringing peace with God. This is where the world comes up short in understanding the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you do not understand that we are by nature enemies of God, then the peace that Jesus brings is meaningless. The world tends to think that our default relationship with God is not nearly so dire. It's more like having a teacher who suspects that you're up to no good. But if you're clever, like Ferris Bueller, you can stay out of trouble and still have your fun. You just have to keep a low profile when the dean's around and remember that his authority stops at the end of the school day or at the edge of the school property. Yes, you're at odds with him, but you don't actually owe him anything. There are certain parts of your life where you can't avoid him. The rest of the time, it's as though he doesn't exist. Now, that kind of relationship is a nuisance. It can be annoying to deal with, but really, it's pretty inconsequential. If that's my outlook, if that's how I understand my relationship to God, then peace with God is also inconsequential. If that's how I think of my relationship to God, then the death and resurrection of Jesus may be a very nice display of valor and profound vulnerability and miraculous deeds, but it is nothing more. It is a remarkable, thought-provoking, historical moment, but its impact on my life is only what I make it to be. It's not the end to a war or the restoration of a ruined relationship. I don't think that the disciples had any such delusions about their relationship with God. Think of the crisis that they faced huddled together behind locked doors. 
They had followed Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. If they were right, if everything Jesus said were true, then they were guilty of fleeing and denying God when it mattered most. But that's not the only option. It could have all just been a hoax. It could have been that this man to whom they had devoted themselves was just a pretender, just like every other false messiah who had come and gathered a following and eventually died. If that's the case, then they were lawbreakers, and worse, blasphemers. Yes, the disciples were afraid of the Jews, but they had more to fear from God. They didn't know how things stood between them and God, or rather, perhaps they knew all too well how things stood between them and God. They knew that there was no peace. Far from it. With the death of Jesus, they had been thrust back into a world of grave conflict, a world in which creator and creature are at odds, and their hope for rescue had just been brought to nothing. But then Jesus came into the room and said to them three times, Peace be with you. Twice when it was just the ten, and then again when Thomas was with them, Peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now you knew how the story was going to go because you've heard it before, but imagine the depths of that gladness, the relief that came from that declaration of peace when all otherwise seemed to be lost. It's the relief of dawn breaking on the darkest night of war. It's the relief of seeing headlines that the fighting is over and the troops are coming home. It's the relief of reconciliation and the longed-for embrace of a lost loved one. It's a peace that passes understanding. A peace that the disciples could never have forged on their own. A peace that spelled the end to fear and violence and death because it was peace with their Heavenly Father. Jesus showed them his hands and his side and they could see that it was not just a greeting, not just a pious way to say hello. It was a costly peace. A peace that was won by a sacrifice, by the shedding of blood, by the loss of a life. Now, you and I weren't in that room with the disciples, but we've all had the very same experience, though most of you won't remember it. It happened at that baptismal font, when you were brought to the water as an enemy of God, under the power of the devil. You were at war with God, and there was no peace. You were estranged, alienated, and you would not be reconciled to him. You were dead, and you could not resurrect yourself. But then, by God's grace, with the water and his holy name, the war was ended. Notice, though, that this wasn't some truce or an armistice. It was defeat, complete victory for God, unconditional surrender by you. Your old sinful flesh that warred with God was put to death, drowned, buried with Jesus. He was the one who suffered defeat on the cross in your place so that, bound to him by the promises of baptism, you would not perish in defeat but rise to live in peace with his Father. And you were given a new heart and the Spirit of God himself and the conflict was over. You were reconciled to God through faith in his promises and there was peace. There's always the risk that it was so long ago 
or seemed so insignificant that we begin to take that peace for granted. But there was no more significant event in your life than that moment when, with everything hanging in the balance, God, your Heavenly Father, washed you clean and reconciled you to himself by the blood of Jesus. Remember it every time you make the sign of the cross. Remember it every time you see the font, every time you see water, every time you hear the word of forgiveness. Remember it when you think of the wounded body of Jesus, whose flesh and blood come to this altar. And then pay attention to how you live. Live in the peace that you have with God, and not as though you were enemies of God. Live, rather, as enemies of sin, enemies of the devil. Resist the desires of your sinful nature. Struggle against temptation. Love as you have been loved by God. And rejoice in sharing that good, life-changing news. Since you, like the disciples, are also now witnesses to the peace of God that came by the cross. And that very same peace of God which passes understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.